So you've done how many movies? 32. How many commercials? 59. 59 national commercials. <laughs> how many how many music videos? 36. How many tours? 11 world tours. 11 tours and I've done 86 television appearances. 86. Ladies and gentlemen, you're in for a special treat. This is a special one. Welcome back to another episode of Gamble's Green Room. I'm your host, Mike Gamble, bringing you the people you need to know with the stories you need to hear. I just said it. It's going to be a special one. Uh, I'm joined today by my... I don't even know how to explain this kid. He's he's my familia. He's my hermano. He's my... like. It's my boy. I'm so excited to have him. It's he's been an inspiration to me. We are we are family. Um, you've seen him. If if there is a b boy in a commercial or a TV show or on Sesame Street or a movie, it was him. If there's a b boy with an artist in a music video or a tour, it was him. If there is a b boy that started acting, it was him. That's that's the introduction you're gonna get. Uh this is this is my little brother. This actually, you're older than me. Am I? I can never remember. November 13th, 1979. Oh, I'm older than you. Okay. Ah. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, my annoying little brother <laughs> that I love so much. Ivan flips Velez in the his house. El Felipe, wow. as I call him. You call me Felipe, that's right. Felipe. That's right. What's it's up? Felipe. It is, Felipe. It Felipe flips. Exactly. How that's are how you, bro? I'm good, bro. How and are wait, you? Wait, wait, wait. What is this? What is this gear you have going on? Well, Can we talk about the 10, the 10 year skill methods anniversary? I'm oh, just Oh my goodness. I'm just saying. Yo. Skill Methods, if you don't know, is a world-renowned uh, b-boy squad that yes. Mr. Flips and Abstract are two of the founding members of, who is actually my family. And in 2005, mm-hmm. I made a special guest appearance at the 10-year anniversary in Orlando. I made trip all the way from Los Angeles to support them, and it was a dope time. And yes, I am rocking my 10-year anniversary Skill Methods anniversary t-shirt. Just for you. That's what I do. Yo, talk about a throwback. Talk about a flashback. Talk about going, what we're going to do right here is go back. (laughs) Way back. (laughs) Back to skill method time. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. right. So since since we're already at skill methods, I always always start with the boring stuff first. We got to go through the beginning. Okay. All right. La Familia, I've started speaking Spanish. (laughs) There you go. That's how it happens. <laughs> Family's from Puerto Rico, but you grew mm-hmm. up in Orlando. Yes, I grew up. Yes, I was born in Mayagüez, Puerto Rico. I was there, I want to say, till I was eight or nine. And then we moved to, oh man, check this out. We moved to Chicago for the summer. My dad got transferred to Michigan. And then he did a little bit there and we couldn't take the coldness. <laughs> so then he got a, 
he got very, very quickie. It was a quickie. And then uh, we, he got a transfer and we came down to Florida, which was way more tropical, way more Puerto Rico. Like, so <laughs> we were there for a while. Yeah, we were there. So that's where I was raised and that's where skill methods was born. And yeah, but yeah, Puerto Rico, Chicago, Michigan, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy, right? Hey, <laughs> how did you meet abstract and cloud? So abstract was, uh, he had come down, I believe he was either on probation or he had gotten trouble. So he had had to come down for the summer and stay with his mom. And that's where I met abstract. So we were in detention together. And, uh, <laughs> right. Two kids in trouble with one thing in common. We love dance. Um, I love to do, uh, salsa and gymnastics, obviously and baseball. And he loved house dancing, raving and breaking. So he got me into breaking. There was a talent show and he was like, yo, can you imagine if you came in tumbling? So that was like my cue. My cue was flips. I was the guy that did the flips. That's where I got my name. Like, yo, that's the dude that flips. People didn't even know my name. So I was, I was kind of like brought on just to start the, the act by tumbling. And the act happened to be uh beach street. So it was the the scene at the Roxy where the red team battles, the, the blue, team, blue team, which was Rocksteady versus New York City Breakers. Right. So fast forward a little bit. We kept on watching that just to perfect the moves and perfect who comes in and who goes after what. And I really, really just got glued to breaking. It was like, wow, this is like gymnastics and dance mixed with with through the culture of hip hop, which is music I loved. Um, I only knew about Spanish music, obviously, because of Puerto Rico. So hip hop was my kind of like my first love as far as like cultures were concerned in America. Um, obviously, aside from Michael and Janet and Madonna and Prince, I love them, obviously. Um, but yeah, it, it like tugged onto me in such a weird way. And I just kept asking him to show me how to break. So what ended up happening was after detention, we would try the best we could, but we only had like an hour, hour and a half. He's like, yo, why don't we start um, traveling to where other dancers are? And that's where we met Cloud, which uh, his name was Little Rock at the time. He was 11 years old and he was a part of Three Brothers Grimm. So that's Daniel, Cloud, mm-hmm. Kevin, uh, and Aaron. So Aaron one is Aaron. Kevin is depth one, which you met all of them at the anniversary. Yep. They all look alike. They're all just like a few years apart, but they were like the, the three brothers that just could annihilate anybody. So we put them down with our crew. One thing led to another, uh, uh, Kevin got a little bit older, got a job. Um, Aaron, uh, found a girl and, uh, had a kid. So then cloud was the one that kind of stayed behind and kept practicing with us. And yeah, so that's how you, that's how, uh, cloud kind of stayed, uh, a little bit closer to me and Ab at that time. Nice. History. <laughs> so I remember seeing footage of you in your beginning breaking days, literally breaking shit in the living room. You mean my my like unbreaking days? Like, <laughs> <because> <laughs> well, I, you can call them your breaking thought, days because you were you were breaking shit in the house. I was breaking stuff in the house, and I was trying to have my little breakthrough. I was like, I gotta figure this out. It can't just be like handstands and. 1990s and backflips it has to be like foundation and top rock and footwork but to me the dynamic stuff came first and in that footage that you saw all i wanted to do was entertain so i think there was a little bit of a disconnect from me to actually want to learn 
the foundation from the beginning, like the top rock, the foot. I just want to learn the power moves. It was like what, what I gravitated towards. So um, that's how my style was kind of influenced was more like, what are the eye popping moves? What are the spinning moves and stuff like that? Which yeah. is funny because lately, since I've known you, you are all about the the top rocks, up rocks, and floor work, like before yes. power moves. So you've matured yes, over I've the years. Yes, I've matured. I've also like gone back to the roots. Um, I enjoy now the history roots. of, um, you know, back to the roots and just back to the origins of it because it, you're never too old to learn. Right. So why not go back to the beginning and to the origins? And I already know the power. So why not study and, and try to figure out how I can adapt the footwork and the foundation to what I'm already doing. Also, I do want to, because I'm teaching now, I want them to learn properly. Mm. So I also want them to learn in a way where I did not, I only right. wanted to learn the power moves and whatever was flashy at the time, which was um, just a bit, you know, immature, ignorant, and a thing no. of the past. It was, it was young. That was it. It was just young. I was 15. I wanted to be cool. <laughs> what, how old were you? How old were you when you met, uh, Ab? 14. Oh, so it was right in with the right within a year. Cool. And, and yeah, were- within a year we created skill methods within a year. Yeah. 1995, October 19th, 1995. Noise. Noise. Mm-hmm. Um, Noise. I still how- got that VHS. <laughs> <laughs> our first practice as a crew horrible horrible <laughs> it, it, it was something it was awesome <laughs> i didn't say awesome i said it was something <laughs> well i translated it as awesome because we had no idea that almost 30 years later we'd still be doing it which is so crazy not a lot of people stick to what they started doing for 30 years and, right. and beyond which is we're almost up to 30 years soon So how did y'all get to Universal Studios? Um, oh, that, that's an interesting. Um, we So Venom, Venom went to an audition. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was doing raves at the time and he was winning these jams, right? At the raves, like dance competitions. Um, he went to an audition and he booked it at Universal Studios. And then that team was more of an acrobatic fusion type of team, right? Mm-hmm. They were doing... Um, like three man stunts, tumbling passes. They were doing stuff with swords uh, and stuff with flags. So what ended up happening is because Venom was so well known as a B-boy, he was kind of like, Hey man, I got a crew of guys that can do what I do. As long as it wasn't like taken away from the martial arts side of the show that he was doing. Right. So, uh, Venom invited him down to a jam. He came down to a jam. His name was Mike Garcia. He came down to a battle, I believe, uh, it was called Hype Stock, and I won it. Unfortunately, I won it against Venom, so uh, we didn't want to battle. We're like the same crew members, right. but little by little, like towards the end, the, the best ones were standing, which was me and Venom. And he was there. He gave me his card, and he was like, "Hey, I'm I'm thinking of starting like a new kind of like a new branch with more dancing." Um, so Venom put in a really good word for me. Venom let me stay with him in Orlando at that time. And when I headed out there, it was like, it was on me and Venom were coming up with routines. He was teaching me the routines that were a part of the company. Um, it was great to expand at Universal Studios because you could audition for Terminator. You could audition for other shows that were already there as long mm. as you were a pool of the stunt talent. Yeah. So that's kind of where I also fell into stunts. I became a stuntman acrobat that could dance. So Venom was doing the same exact thing. 
And uh, yeah, we became like sidekicks at Universal. We booked every job together. It was like City Walk at night, you know, Islands of Adventure during the day. And then what ended up happening was they really liked what uh, the dance aspect was bringing because we could also tumble. So what ended up happening is uh, they allowed Venom and I to bring in a couple of the other guys, Abstract, uh, uh, Technique, Cloud, and Flea. Beast Mode was already a part of um, the fusion at that time. So Mm -hmm. he started practicing. He became Skill Methods. And Skill Methods just kind of slowly took over um, the Universal contract, thanks to Mike Garcia. He, He just allowed us to branch out creatively and start coming up with routines. We were also using the routines to win battles. So it was like a win win. It was great. And then we would have subs for each other. So if I couldn't do uh, a show and me and Venom were on one show, we'd go off and do another show, a traveling show, and then Abstract and Technique or Cloud or Beast Mode could uh, sub in. So it became this really awesome. I mean, we weren't an agency. We weren't a, a management group of any kind, but we were like this little entertainment group, like a little hub of talent, which we all learned each other's moves and each other's um uh, uh, routines. And, uh, yeah, it became like this lethal little squad. <laughs> we so did the same thing out here in Hollywood. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, so how did you meet Venom tech and beast and flea? Okay. So Venom and tech, I was introduced to, to by abstract. Um, I was too young at the time to go to clubs, I was also uh, going to church. I was an altar boy, so I was going to church. I was also working a job um, at a supermarket. So I was really, really busy, and the only time I could practice was at my house. So Ab was really the one that was going out and meeting people and kind of like just finding people that were gravitating towards what he was doing because breaking at that time was, you know, it it was very low on the totem pole as far as hip-hop. Everybody was like rapping or doing music videos. So, um, Ab started saying, Hey man, there's a couple guys that I've been kind of coming around. So the first thing was to get them to meet my parents. If my parents liked them and thought they were cool, they could come over and practice because I wasn't really leaving the house. So, um, what ended up happening was I couldn't wait till the summertime so that during the summer I could go out and then we would arrange places where we could practice. And we could also arrange places where there were teen nights and I could go to those clubs that weren't 21 and up or 18 Mm -hmm. and up. So, so technique, um, I remember meeting technique at, uh, Ybor city. He was street performing with clown who you met at the yep. skill methods anniversary. Who's also skill methods. He was the guy who taught us like how to run the streets, um, how to hit, how to bust, how to panhandle, how to work the crowd. He was like our first manager and our first guy that taught us how to make that, like that, that street money really quickly. Um, and I saw technique there with two guys that are now called NBS, nothing but skills. That was Muggsy, uh, Meek, and Man were also um, at that time with the crew. So it was awesome, dude. It was like, you meet Technique. He's from New York. He's from Puerto Rico. He starts to break. Uh, Venom is going to these rave clubs. He goes to Ybor City. He's a B-boy too. Uh, Ab is kind of like my my little, like, what do you call it? The 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 guardian of the gate. And yeah. he's like, yo, I met some guys like, let's link up, let's hang out. And then slowly, but surely we just, because at that time we were all had the same goal in mind was to learn more about this breaking, this hip hop culture, b-boying. And then we got our money together. I remember one summer um, when we were super tight, we got our money together and we pitched in 
And we went to Miami to the Pro-Am. That was 97. So that was two years into the crew. was our first big road trip. We went to uh, B-Boy Masters Pro-Am. That was exciting. How did that, that go? Great. Yeah, that's how I met Venom and Tech. And how did it go? Well, it was a rude awakening because we thought we were pretty good until we saw <laughs> Street side. We saw Storm. We saw Quick Step. We saw Easy Rock. We saw Crumbs. We saw Ariston. We saw like teal steel and those guys. And we were like, Whoa, like they were so far uh, above us. And then the Europeans were even so far above that. I was just like, then we saw Ken Swift. We saw a bus that, uh, uh, bus that everyone was like, yo, seven gems is in that van. And we're looking like, you know, little kids, man, they start coming out. Ken Swift and Flowmaster. I was like, it was just like, woo, it's awesome. So yeah. Um, yeah, you know, one thing led to another. It's been almost 30 years, so there's a lot of stories in between. But, right. yeah, I'm cutting two highlights. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to cut. That's what this is, all, this is all about stories. It's all about stories. There's no, there's no schedule of stuff we need to talk about. All right. So now, so now uh, this is 97. You've been a crew for two years. Mm-hmm. How did, when and how did you get to New York? Oh, New York. Okay. New York was, we thought it wasn't even a reality. There's a guy named Steve Love, uh, who I had met in Miami. We had done a gig for him. It was almost like a trial and error to see if he liked the the team. Mm -hmm. And there was an audition and we heard about an audition for, uh, uh, break the urban funk spectacular. So we knew of jam on the groove. So we thought, Oh, this is another big show. Just like that. So my, my father took, uh, he kind of took charge and was like, I want to make sure that this is real and this is legit. You guys are going to Korea. We went to Scotland. We went to Bermuda. So, and obviously rehearsed in New York. So we were kind of like, this is either too good to be true. Or this is like, you know, uh, like a, a bunch of shit, a big joke, like, a, like a <laughs> punk. <laughs> we're getting punk. So, um, what ended up happening was my dad looked into it. Uh, my dad reached out to the producer, uh, director of the show, uh, Steve Love, Love at Love Productions. Um, it had the phone number there and it had the extension and everything. And my dad looked it up. He had his friend, a lawyer, look into the contract and it's like, yeah, man, this looks legit. So we reached out. Next thing you know, I'm on a plane to go. And th- the weirdest part was having to meet other people that are going to be in a show, but you've either never met them or they were from like a rival crew or, you know, heard, you've heard that you might end up battling them and then you're on the same stage. So there was a little bit of like fear, nerves, and ego all traveling to New York to be like, okay, well, this is the Mecca of breaking. Everyone's going to want to be in this show. Everybody who's a breaker or a B-boy or B-girl. So it actually ended up working out because of our bond at Universal and our bond as a crew. We had tight routines. We had the same gear. Like mm. we just looked the part like me, flea rock, ab tech. We all looked the part right for Steve love. And he loved our rawness. We were, um, coming just a little bit more raw and hungry than other people were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once you get a crew, you get a crew. So you get the dynamics of a crew, you get people looking out for each other, you get multiple routines. You don't have to start from scratch. Right. So I think that was, Plus for Steve Love at the time was here's skill methods. 
they've created this bond as a crew at Universal Studios and at school and at the clubs and on the street, street performing. These guys got the total package. Let me just roll with them to see how it goes. And, uh, you know, one stop led to another. And then people were either available or weren't available. Uh, some people were wanted to venture off into other jobs or other opportunities. So I was able to kind of stick with the plan and let Steve Love know, hey, if this guy can't do it, let's replace him with this person because he can actually do those routines or mm. he does do his power counterclockwise or he does actually have head spins or he also tumbles. So I became kind of like, Steve loves little right-hand guy for a while. And he started trusting me with the choreography because I love, I love collaborating. I don't have to create the chunk of choreography, but I like to see it through where this person gets to shine and this person gets to shine and this person's top rock isn't left out or, or it dissolves away into the background while right. everyone's like doing power moves. So um, Steve love started hiring me for the NACA circuit. It's a, it's a national college circuit for performers and artists. And he started hiring me to choreograph the jobs. So I told him, Hey, let's keep this small just to, you know, keep his budget from breaking his pocket. And I told him, let me start venturing out and seeing who the B girls are, who the B boys are, who could pick up the choreography. And I started just doing the NACA circuit with uh, Steve Love and Love Productions. Um, we were doing tele televised TV shows. We were on Fox um, we did a bunch of promos and I literally, he gave me his car. Oh my God. I used to have to take the train from Brooklyn, go all the way to Steve Love's place, get his car, which was a brand new Toyota Camry at the time and uh, give my driver's license and like drive to the gig and then check in with Steve Love, make sure everything was good, keep all the gas receipts. So I started developing this thing of like a coordinator slash manager, talent manager, you know, slash talent. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, and the host, cause sometimes he couldn't come on the gigs and he couldn't introduce who we were. So I would have to grab the mic, let go of all the nerves and start talking. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for love productions. I'm your host. Ivan flips Velez. This is so-and-so this is so-and-so he's got the power. He's got the style he's got, you know? So um, yeah, love productions was great, man. For the crew. It was great at that time. I mean, we were able to work, solidly for almost two years off of one production that spun off into you know the college circuit live television Dope. commercial everything yeah in new york so that was your first taste of hollywood ish but you didn't know yeah it that was like my first yeah i think i think to well to be quite honest the first taste yes of hollywood yes of entertainment it was at universal right being but, able yeah. to be a stunt guy and then being able to do that, that kind of got me into that, like, ooh, into that buzz of entertainment. Then in New York, when I saw the hustle of not booking an audition, going to constantly going to auditions, not booking, nobody knowing your name, not knowing what a headshot is, not having right. a resume because it's not enough to put down on a piece of paper. Um, I started learning all that. It was almost like um, trial and error. But in New York, it was such a hustle. And if you ask any B-boy, I used to go with my backpack, right? And my backpack had a lock. I had a padlock on the back. Um, I used to use it in high school as well. But inside my backpack, I had headshots, resumes, bios, and comp cards. And my VHSs, I would carry around three at a time to give to an agent or casting or a producer. So 
B-Boys knew. Inside Flips's bag was a headspin hat, a towel, a, a water bottle, a headshot, a resume, and a VHS, you know? like He was ready. It, it was pretty cool. I was ready. I just never knew when the opportunity would come. Right. And also, if you're, if you're practicing, let's say you're at LES practicing or at Roberto Clemente State Park in the Bronx practicing, and you get a phone call or you get a text or you get an email, what are you going to do? You can't go all the way back home right. for a piece of paper, a photo, and a VHS. So I would carry it on with me at all times. And this really hard binder that would keep my backpack all stiff so that nothing would bend inside. It was Pretty yeah, fun, man. you you're you. So you've been OCD for a while. <laughs> yeah, that was like 90, 98, 99. That was like back in the day. Then I got Sesame Street in 99. So I I gave away everything on every job. Every job I got, I would I would ask who's the director, who's the executive producer, you know, who's the person like almost responsible for for blessing me with this opportunity. And I would give them a headshot resume, a thank you. Um, sometimes when there was crafty, I would get them coffee just out of generosity. Cause I was like, man, that person didn't even know me. They heard about me from this person. And now I'm doing Sesame street. And Sesame little did Street's you know that you were caring. hustling. I was hustling. I was hustling out of the kindness of my heart. I just didn't want to be forgotten. There was right. something about me that I was like, I hope they remember me forever. Cause next week they're going to have somebody else do Sesame street and somebody else, you know, be talent and whatever. So I just always wanted to be remembered and, and liked and, and, um, you know, respected because I respected them. I was like, man, breaking is coming such a long way from us breaking in my, in my backyard, <laughs> uh, to being on set of Sesame street. I, I would think I was so blessed. I don't know how to, how to not act, but graciously, like thankfully right. and kindly. So, well, you yeah, were I didn't know that was part of hustling. Well, yeah, I, I was raised humble. So no, yeah, I hope but, I remain humble. But that's where all that generosity came from is that you were actually humble. You were appreciative of everything that was happening. So, and like you said, out of the generosity of your heart, it was, it was pure, it was authentic and you're being real and you really wanted to stay in touch with these people. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to be nice. So you remember me so you can hire me again. It was, I'm going to be nice because you're right. fucking awesome. And yeah, right. if you remember me, that's a bonus out of it. So you can do something else together, but it wasn't, it wasn't that like, that wasn't your initial, that wasn't your go-to point no, 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 of being nice. Not at all. Not at all. I was just thankful that they took a chance on hip hop. They took a risk on breaking. They took a risk on um, having me on set and trusting me that I knew what I was doing and I could do it over and over again. Um, so the other funny, here's another funny thing on those sets. Um, I, I got used to picking up after myself, right. Mm -hmm. On at universal studios, at a show, at a practice, you pick up after yourself. So on set, when we were done, I would help, I would try to help wrap the, the wires and the lighting stuff. And they're like, no, 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 don't touch that. We have, we have professional people that handle that, you know, like the gaffers and whatnot. Yeah. And I just, I had no idea. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I was just trying to help because I know that they needed that area clear so they can move on to the next shot. And I was just trying to be like of service. And they were just like, man, you're actually really, you're a really cool guy. So yeah. that's why even now, like in my forties, I just want to help the production. Yeah. I want the production to move fast and smoothly. I don't want them behind. I don't want people stressing. So even when I'm talent, I could be the lead of a film and I'll help them move a light. I'll help them move stuff around or I'll go get crafty or, you know, like help yeah. people take a break or go 
take a breather. Like I'm, I'm a collaborator in that way. And, and that's one thing about me that carried through from set to set television, film, yeah. live, anything. I would, I would just, you know, the first one there and the last one to leave because I feel like pe- people need help. And sometimes they don't ask. And you, you remember at the, at the skill methods anniversary, I yeah. was filming, we we're taking care of the front door. We were like doing multiple things at the same time without and complaining. And, and, it's just, yeah. and, and people who didn't know me were like, why are you? I'm like, yo, they need help. Like that. <laughs> You're a guest. You're a VIP guest. What are you doing? No, like, bro. No, so we're family. So you, got, you guys need a camera? You know? Oh, don't worry. I'll go into, I'll go into the other ciphers and get some B-roll footage. So you guys can use it for it. And like, what? Oh no. So mom needs help the at the front door. Yeah. What do you need? You need more? Okay. I'll go to the car and get them. It's fine. Oh wait. Now, now the, now we're going to do the show. Okay, cool. So make sure everybody, everybody clear up. But was like, what the, right. because you, that again, that's our relationship. We're going to get into that a little bit, but that's the thing. Like yeah. I, I, I don't even know how to explain it, but like, because our relationship is so tight, like I want to make sure that you're taken care of. And then because the rest of the crew you introduced me to, they know me because of you, I'm tight with them. So I want to make sure that they're cool. And then it's like, all right. all right, so we need to make sure this goes off dope. Cause this is 10 years. And I know how hard you guys worked for it, but then also we're going to get into that in a little bit. We're going to, I'm going to pause. We're going to come back to that when we get to LA and I'm going to explain to what I was going to say. We're going to keep going. It's I, I've, I've, I've now just pieced together yeah. some stuff. It's I got, it's in it's my head. Good. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I got you. <laughs> But what, but what, what I do want to say is the interesting thing about you being on set and doing that is that a lot of times people won't know how to take it because no one is that authentic, really. No mm. one, t- most talent, most talent <laughs> is so egotistically driven. Like, right. hey, can you pick your bag up? <sighs> Why is right? I right. put it there. They're like, like, talk to my agent or right. Tell my manager. And you're like. <laughs> So then when, so then when you start helping out and you're actually this authentic person, people are like, oh no, this dude is real. It makes them feel better as well because they're like, oh, he's actually wants to be part, like he wants to be part of it. Like we are now, it's not just, I'm doing my job and I'm leaving. I want to be part of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it's- what has connected me. That's what has connected the dots for me. Um, I call something, uh, I say it to kids all the time or mm-hmm. whoever's taking my class. Uh, to go beyond the step, you know, just yeah. go above and beyond what they call the call of duty. But for yeah. dancers, we get it. You know what the step is now go beyond the step, add emotion, add your heart, add knowledge, add caring, add, add something more than just knowing what you have to do and where you need to be. And people start to gravitate towards that. And that's, what's gotten me so many jobs. Like, like if, if we can talk about the numbers, yeah. I only wanted to do one movie, one. I want to experience one film. I want to experience one commercial, one live um, show. Yeah. I want to. I want to. I want to experience like, I don't know, just one, one of each to know what path I want to take. I wanted right. to know. It's like studying a subject, right? Mm-hmm. And by the time I was on my first film, before I knew it, like I don't know a few years past, I had done 11. And then when I got to LA, I was at 15. And then now I'm at 32. I've, I've been a part of 32 feature films. I only wanted to do one in, in the sense of like, maybe I'm acting, maybe I'm dancing, maybe I'm doing stunts, maybe I'm choreographing, maybe I'm just in the bag getting thrown over a car. I don't know. Right. <laughs> and, um, 
but but doing that like just going beyond the step and helping out on set and getting and and getting people coffee and and just just helping uh, uh, the production move along, I was brought on to other projects, like almost um, direct booking, almost like yeah. simultaneously. Like, hey, what are you doing next week? We got another gig next week. We could just have you like flip across the set and or double this kid. And, and you're just kind of like, imagine you didn't help. Imagine you just went there, you did your job and you left. You and didn't this is meet the, the director, you didn't talk to the producer. Yeah. Because you're not just do, you're just not being nice and knowing the people to know you're doing it with everybody. You're doing it for the gaffer. You're doing it for the the PA. You're doing it for the for the craft service person. So there. So when I was so when I was growing up, there's a quote that stuck with me that if in a book, if a character has a name, you need to know you need to know who that person is. And the same thing with the movie script. If a person has a name, they're going to come back. So if you meet someone and they have a name, know who that person is, whether it's a custodian, whether it's a janitor, whether it's a security guard, whether it's the director, no matter who it is, every person is a person. Know who that person is and treat them like a person because you never know who they are. Yep. So for, so like, a lo- again, we're very similar along my lines. So much stuff has happened to me because I just talk to everybody. I don't care who you are. I'm like, oh, you're here with me? What? Blah, blah, blah. What's happening? And then next thing you know, they're like, oh. I get a phone call. They're like, oh, so-and-so gave me your name. I'm like, I said hi to that person. How? They're like, oh, well, you made, a, you made an impression and they're actually this person. So they want you to do this job. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say yeah. no at this point, but you, it, you never know. Blessing. Yeah. Right. You never know who you're right. talking to. You never know what power someone has, even if they don't have what you think is power, even if they're just a, a, a low level PA runner. Right. Right. They could be that they could be the director's cousin or nephew or something like, oh, this guy, you don't know. They could be be connected and then they remember you either as good or bad or they don't remember you at all. You want to hear a quick story? Of course. First commercial, my first commercial in L.A., the first commercial, because I I was filming, you got served Um, and I got a call. We had two days off and there was a call for a national commercial. Mm -hmm. I didn't know my way around. Obviously I had a rental car. So I was super careful. I drove around, uh, the La Brea, um, casting spot by Beverly Hills. Yeah. So, so I'm driving and I see a spot. The spot has a meter, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to park and just put as many quarters as I think I'm going to be in there. There was a person driving around like furiously trying to get, trying to get a parking spot. They were late. So I felt so bad for them. I was super early because I didn't know where I was going. So I let that young lady take the spot. I was like, are, are you, are, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. If you're in a hurry, go ahead. She was just like, ah, oh, there was a parking right there. And I had just gone around. So I let her take the parking, right? I come back around. There was a parking, like two cars behind hers. And I was like, I still got plenty of time drive around park. I go inside. She was like, thank you so much. I go inside. I had no idea who this person is. Nobody knows. She had no idea who I was. And I go in to the target commercial audition. And who's the casting director? The lady that I gave my parking spot to that, that was trying to get into the, was that totally? Huh? Was that totally? Casperis? Oh, no, no, I don't remember her name. No, okay. no, no. I don't remember her name, but it was the same lady that I gave the parking to because we had that eye to eye. She yeah. said, thank you so much. Oh, my God, I'm running late. She goes inside for the Target commercial that I had done when I'm dressed in orange for the Spuds McKenzie thing. Yep. 
So I looked at her and I was like, didn't we just meet outside? She's like, did you just give me a parking spot? Like, just like that. And I was like, Oh my God, that's crazy. She was like, I was so late. I'm so sorry. I'm supposed to be like running the audition or whatever. And I was like, no, I got here early. I'm from New York, you know, blah, 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 just to start conversation. Yeah. So it's not awkward. And she was like, are you here for the audition? I was like, yes, I'm, I'm a B-boy. So I'll be breaking. And then I look at the ground and it's carpeted because <laughs> it's like a casting room. There's carpet on the ground. So she was like, yeah, just freestyle and do what you do. Thank you so much. Blah, blah, blah. So I do my thing. I do the head spin. She couldn't believe I'm spitting on carpet. I'm like, whoosh, doing all my tricks, boom, boom, boom. And then I told her, uh, you know, like, like, you know, hopefully see you soon or blah, blah, blah. So then I go outside, dude, the parking people, they park with their Priuses right behind the car and start to give tickets. Yeah. So I saw them giving a ticket. I think she had only put like a quarter or, or something, not enough money. Mm-hmm. She had run out. And I hadn't, I had put like an hour's worth or whatever. I, t- I maxed it out my OCD. So I run to my car. I take out four quarters. I throw him in her thing. She, he doesn't give her a ticket. Is this your car? And I was like, no, it's the casting director for this commercial. Uh, she just went inside or whatever. Right. So I run inside and I was like, I hate to interrupt. Oh, blah. So you were about to get a ticket, but I went ahead and put four quarters. So you're good for an hour. Go, oh my God, thank you so much. And then long and behold, that whole, like, see you on, hopefully see you on set, dude, I got casted for the target commercial and it ran for two years with Spuds McKenzie. <gasps> and you never know, you never know when, when that blessing you need to pay it forward i was right. like i need to pay the parking forward because this lady like really needs to park she's late then she's the casting director to the commercial i'm auditioning for so i have to be even super nice you know and like make sure that she's good and then i go out i see the parking guy giving her a ticket i'm like wait she's inside like don't give her a ticket man that lady's had such a rough day already and it, the blessing ended up me booking the commercial with this dog Spuds McKenzie that was awesome at that time. And it ran for two years and I just couldn't believe it. I was like, imagine none of that happened. Imagine I took the parking that she really wanted. She's super late. Or she has a horrible day. I auditioned and she's like, you took my parking spot. Or Get not even I took the parking know? spot. Like, let's say you were really LA about it. And you were a dick about it. Mm-hmm. That. Mm-hmm. Now, 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 not only did you take the parking spot, but now you're like, oh, stupid, oh, whatever. Like you just give her attitude about it. Now you go upstairs right, and it's just like, right. oh, you're auditioning. Sorry, we're fully. No, we don't need to see right. you anymore. <laughs> right. Right. You never know. But that's the story of how you and I were on set. We're not even on set. I'm just at the audition, helping out the casting director yeah. to make sure she doesn't get a 60 or $80 ticket, you know. Um, but I. You know, when I was on set, I wanted her to know that what you said, I don't do it for any specific reason other than the good of humanity. Like, I don't want her having a bad day. I don't want her like driving off in a frenzy and getting into a car accident or God forbid anything worse, you know, or her car getting towed, whatever. So, yeah, that's kind of like a crazy story of how I've just always been from on set to offset to, you know, whatever. Anyway. Yeah. Just for the viewers to kind of soak it up. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, people, be be 100% authentic, not to get something out of it, but because that's what human nature is supposed to be about. And that's actually how our relationship joined as well, which we're going to get to in a little bit. 
Jeez. So moving back over to the East Coast. Okay. So you are now in New York in 99, you said, right? Yeah. Okay. I How did you get? 2003. 99 to 2003? Yeah. That's, I was in New York. I lived in New York in that time frame. Okay. So how did you get to Philadelphia with Rennie Harris? Oh, that was uh, abstract. Abstract was doing some stuff for Rennie Harris um, because he's a house dancer. So he was doing the, their house number. Aha. He had met a couple of, yeah, uh, Rennie Harris was like very, very pro house and tribal, right? The other thing that, um, so Ab put in a good word for me. And then the other thing was me knowing B-Girl Jules, Lady mm. Jules. Yeah. Lady Jules um, had vouched for me as well. She's like, I know flips. So I ended up workshopping some stuff with Lady Jules that was a little bit on the tumbling side with breaking. Mm-hmm. And then when Ab had brought me in, I had to learn, I had to do this workshop where I had to learn all this choreography where I just wasn't mentally I wasn't there, but with the jewel stuff, with the tumbling and the, and the breaking stuff and the head spins, I was there. So Rennie Harris started giving me shots with Illadelph hip hop legends. Cause it mm-hmm. had breaking in it. Uh, Roman jewels. Cause it had breaking in it. But, um, the other one repertory, which had a lot of house and tribal, uh, mm-hmm. that was more abstracts, uh, vibe. So, um, I ended up working for Rennie thanks to, yeah, thanks to abstract putting in a really good word for me. And, and here's another thing about me too. I am willing to invest in myself. So I put myself up. I took the train to Philly. Ab just told me, you know, he was already working for Rennie. So he was able to get the train fare and all that stuff. I was like, don't worry about it. I will perform on the street or save some money from the commercial work that I'm doing. I'll, you know, put myself out, I'll board myself and, talk with Jules and like figure everything out on my own so that I'm not a burden to Rennie in any way. I just come, I try it. He sees where I fit in and then I hit it. So then when I came back from doing that whole workshop weekend, I got great news from Rennie. Rennie's like, yeah, I'm thinking about using you and app for Illadelph hip hop legends. That's where I met the electric boogaloos, um, on that tour. Um, I met Don Campbellock. Uh, it was just an incredible experience for me. I was so young and, this was like, the, you know, the culture I wanted to dive into. And these were some of the offspring from um, not necessarily commercial work, but theater. So I love theater. I love mm-hmm. that. It's it's like a one shot. It's live. There's no edits. There's no nothing. You've got to kill it every night and add a little hint of like, like nuances every single night, a little bit of freestyle. If your family's there, you know, hit that pose towards where your parents are. If your friends show up, make sure you, you kind of perform to your friends mm-hmm. and, you know, if celebrities show up, make sure you go full out. So that's how I met uh, Rennie Harris was a word of mouth from abstract, um, taking a risk on my own, investing in myself and going to Philly, uh, trying my very, very best. And then obviously, learning and developing more as I worked with the company. Um, because the choreography they were doing was so abstract to me. I was like, Whoa, chill. <laughs> and like some of the numbers, some of the numbers were like shirtless and I'm like, what kind of company is this? You know, but um, I loved it. Loved everything about it. And then where we were able to travel with Randy Harris was insane. We performed for the queen of England for her golden Jubilee. We got to perform Rennie Harris Pair Movement, p- perform a segment of Roman Jewels live theater 
um, in, uh, I believe it was the Peacock Theater in London for the Queen of England. So we did some incredible stuff, man. Even in uh, Colombia, we went to Colombia. We performed for the American Embassy. We performed for like the president. There were like so many things that we got to do through Rennie Harris, which was uh, for me, it was like incredible. Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned Colombia because I actually heard a story that in 2002 on the bus in Bogota, Colombia, that you made a statement. What did I say? I want to be a pop star. I want to do, I want. Oh, yes. There was two places where I did say it. Bogota, Colombia and in London. We performed for, and then just rewinding like a few seconds mm -hmm. to when I said the Golden Jubilee. Um, in London at that time, NSYNC was big. B2K was big. There was like all these and I'm like, I could totally do that. I go, you know what? I'm going to be a pop star. I'm going to be on the big screen. I just said it because it wasn't far-fetched for me, but that's just me, right? right. Um, I was like, I could hold a note. I could sing. I could dance. I could pick up choreo. I could do this. I could do that. You know. And in my own head, that's what made me a great performer. So I said it in London um, when we performed for the Golden Jubilee for uh, Queen Elizabeth. And mm -hmm. I said it in Bogota, Colombia. I just was bragging about it. I go, yo, wait till I get my shot, man. I'm going to blow up. I'm going to do it all. I'm going to do movies, commercials. I said it all. I was just like, there is no stopping someone who can actually see, which is my, my brand, see the invisible and do the impossible. If I can see it, trust me, I will find a way to get it done. With money, without money, with sponsors, without sponsors. If I can't do it, I will have someone that can do it to prove to the world it could be done. I'm just that type of person. And and uh, I said that back then. My goodness. I th there was an interview uh, that Darren Ross, D. Ross, mm -hmm. for Rennie Harris did of me. And um, he said, uh, I can't wait to see you blow up. Because I said it. I was like, I'm going to be a pop star. I'm going to be in every movie, every commercial. I, I said it like. I mean, there was no social media back then, but I said it with this very convicted kind of like attitude. Like, I just can't, I can't wait to be given a shot because I wouldn't abuse the privilege of getting a shot right. to be successful. And once I have seen and tasted success, I know I could reverse engineer the formula to continue to do it. So, yeah, I was super hyped. So I and did then, say that. I said it in Colombia and I said it in London. And then <laughs> what was it? Maybe seven months later, you came over yeah, with Rennie mm -hmm. and performed months in L.A., yep. which is where we met yep. in the garage, Correct. where Correct. I tried to hit you with the car because you were breaking in the middle of the freaking driveway. Oh, yeah. You're, you're being, you're mean. What? <laughs> Bro, you flipped me off and started doing a 90 in front of the freaking car. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But the, so the funny thing, when Flips and I, when Flips and I first met, it wasn't, it wasn't like we hated each other or anything, but it was, who's this dude? Who's this little munchkin dude? Like we were for like 36 hours, we were inseparable, but we couldn't stop bragging on each other. Like at dinner, where are you going? Damn. Can I go to the bathroom without a turd? Like ask me, can you come out? Like, dude, what the hell? Like it was, people were like, what is with you two? But it was nothing, it was nothing but love, but it was so funny because everybody thought we were just like, ah, <laughs> right. Right. No, that's like, that's like brotherly love when you can, 
when you can, what they call in Europe, like take the piss out of someone yeah. and just like wild out and be, just be somebody's friend through the pros and the cons and using the cons to get the pros out of somebody right? or to just cheer them up. Like, like be a douche, but like cheer them up in a way, you know? Um, I think that's how we hit it off. And I think our relationship has always remained that way because if, if for some reason I stop acting that way towards you, you might feel like, Oh, flips is trying to be brand new. Like, who is this guy? And if you do this to me, I'll be like, what? You used to, you used to love that joke. Or like, we used to kid around like that all the time. So I'm glad we're still the same after all these years. Uh, after all these years. And actually <laughs> flips is the reason why I really invested in myself in Los Angeles and in breaking. So when you, when you got, when, when we met, Crystal and I had just moved to LA in that February of 2003. And then you were, then you were going to be moving over and you, you were going to stay at, you're going to stay at the house, Crystal and Dwayne's place. Mm-hmm. The the house. House. Yeah, that was great. 1242 and yeah. a half. And a half. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> upstairs upstairs the in the upstairs. freaking sauna of oh. a house. During the so summer, high. but at the time I had, uh, I was working overnight at Gap to get extra money. And then the advertising agency that I used to work for in Philly that I quit to move to LA needed me as a freelancer. Uh, so I was driving down to Orange County an hour to two hours each way, but then I was back at the house all, every night, just like chilling. And, just, and you're like, and we were messing like, that's what, you know, dancers, we find a mirror, we start dancing, we start jamming. And then we started, and you're like, after a couple of days, like, why are you doing this? It's like, ah, just, you know, I have, I have money, but I need to make sure I'm financially stable. You're like, but that's not why you're here. Why aren't you investing in yourself? And I was like, and I was supposed to go to work. I was supposed to go to Gap in like an hour. And I, I called that. and I was like, I quit. And you just looked at me and you were like, what? I was like, yeah, you quit. I quit. We're having such a, we're ha- we, we, we started, we started, we started, uh, jamming in the apartment. We we're having mm-hmm. such a good time. And I was like, yo, I got to go. And you're like, why? I got to go to work. Why are you going there? I quit. <laughs> I remember and that. that started- you had, I was like, you, you had great vision. You were creative. You knew how to figure things out. Um, and I just wondered why you were going to work where you weren't able i mean obviously if you're working in a place that doesn't need your creativity you're not able (laughs) you're not able to be creative right so you're going to end up being like unless you're like putting performances up at the gap and you're choreographing them to get people to come in then yes of course stay working at the gap because now you're the creative director at the gap but but i felt like you had um something like up your sleeve something was right around the corner that was about to happen you were around uh, a group of people that uh, loved you and your talent. We saw your talent. So I was just wondering, like, you might be wasting time if you're going to work there, knowing that there might be, you know, at Carnival, an opportunity, or there might be an audition. That's an opportunity. There might be a party that we could go to, right. you know, Janet Jackson's there, or, you know, Will Smith is there. There's an opportunity. And I just thought that you were the perfect person to be in those places instead of at a gap or like, you know, just working like a regular job, knowing your talent. It's different when people aren't as talented or are trying to figure it out, but there's no clarity that 
they're creative, that right. they could dance, that they move, that they're funny, that they can direct, they can produce, they could create something out of nothing. When I started to see that in you, I'm like, man, I feel like you're wasting your time there because you all That's you exactly need is you one opportunity. Yeah. All you need is one opportunity, dude. And they're they're just everywhere. But if you're uh, somewhere else, they're not they're yeah. you're not going to see it. Right. opportunities are coming and then yeah you quit i remember that you just quit <laughs> <laughs> dude i call, number one at the gap i was literally taking a bathroom break and falling asleep and they're like where were you i was like i had diarrhea because <laughs> i didn't want to be there i tried i stayed in the bathroom for as long as i possibly could right so and i was like what do you want you want to go see proof go in they're like no just just go back to work i was like i hated that job oh, so thank you God. very much for the inspiration did it, then, didn't you get hip hop harry after that soon after that? uh soon so soon, something at, soon after that. soon after that i got dance 360 which was claude's uh, 360. Yes, which was claude, claude's yes. like uh dance show. battle show and from there yeah. again because because of my personality Claude, uh, Claude called me in for the audition and I met so many of our friends there and he, and him and Hannah, uh, were like, yeah, so actually we don't want you to dance. We want to know if you want to be the, uh, the assistant and backup hip hop Harry. I was like, what? Mm. So I actually got hired to be if Ness, if David wasn't able to do hip hop Harry to do hip hop Harry, but then I became the assistant choreographer and then Hannah dropped mm -hmm. off and Claude was like, you're my man. And then that's how I got to choreograph the live shows, the live shows, the live tours. I hired Shorty, Abu and Chris Enriquez. And then mm -hmm. we did the, then we did the TV show as well. And Syrian wow, was there as well. And then from there, that's where that blew up. So, and then, but before was that, that after, was that? that was shortly after you, but that was like, how long from when you quit the gap did that opportunity happen? Uh, Months? No, because uh, I was still working the advertising gig, but Dance 360 happened. So we moved there in March. I quit the end of, we moved there in February. I worked there for like three weeks, quit there, kept the advertising mm -hmm. job. So in the fall was dance 360 and so then the next after. year was hip-hop harry wow that's insane but imagine see that's why i look at like imagine you didn't imagine you're like no i need to stick with this because i need to make money but then you're not being creative like but maybe that, but, those steps would happen right and that's the, <laughs> and that's the hardest thing uh, uh for me in my life is i am literally 50 50 business brain analytic brain and creative brain left, left and right side. So when I'm mm. at that point, I really like the stability of the, fi the financial stability from the work, because since I was a kid, I always knew I wanted to work in advertising, marketing and uh, PR stuff, but I was being torn away from the creative side of me. And then, you know, in Los Angeles, the hustle is a freaking hustle. You don't know what's going to happen, but then Auditions started happening, but it wasn't enough stability for me to live my life. So I went back. But every time I went one way or the other, it was like, ah. And then I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm going 100% full in. And that from there, everything. And here I am now. That's all I do. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's what's up, though. But also, something else yes. is what you did 
is you were technically my first management client. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you had you had by me, default. What's that? Uh-huh. I said by default. But in <laughs> you had me Dude, you had me running yeah. your itineraries, you had me managing like calls, you had me like <laughs> which was dope because I was too busy and I was like, I, the only person I trust was you. So I was like, what you said, I need to figure. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there I started, I started, somehow I started assisting Jules in class because I was training with you and she's like, Oh, well just come. And then you can, and then when she wasn't teaching, I was teaching her class and then Venom took over the class and I was with Venom and then cloud moved over. And then I brought cloud into the whole mix. And like, he's like, yo, why are you so like efficient? I'm like, that's, he's like, that's why Flips talks about you a lot. This is why I'm like, I don't, I, this is just me. And then I remember me, you and Oscar went to you and you and Oscar were going to a party. Like, yo, we're going to a party. Uh, you should come. And it was Tina Landon's house. Mm. Oscar had just bought his white Mercedes, uh, mm-hmm. the Tudor Mercedes. And we drove to Tina's and then we're at Tina Landon's house. And we're all having a good time. You don't, you're not drinking at this point. And I used to bartend no, no, no. in Philly. And I, so I just go behind the bar and I start mixing people drinks. And then the whole party is just like, so are you going to make another one? I was like, I'm not bartending. And Tina's like, so here's more alcohol. Here you go. And I'll see you at the next party. I'm like, Tina Landon just spoke to me. And I'm here with Flips and Oscar. This is weird. What is happening? How crazy is that? And I didn't drink. Yeah. Right. And you ended up being like a bartender for everybody else. <laughs> because you brought me No, every- but it was also, but, but you were also having fun and it was great for you to like mingle and meet people. It was just like, you were so good at it <clears throat> that people just thought that's naturally what you were there for. Right. And that's what I'm saying. And the reason, the reason why I got there people is that you introduced me to almost everybody that I knew in Los Angeles, I got I got to know the Groovaloos that way. I got to know Maris, Allison, Teresa that way. Not just through class. Like they're like, oh, because we we always said that we were cousins. We were just like, oh, it's my prima, blah blah blah. So people thought we were related, and it's just like we were always together. So people like, dude, all right, oh, that's Flip's cousin. All right, cool, blah 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 blah. Like, hey, what's up, Mike? Oh, Mike, right? Oh, you do this. So it's like, thank you so much for making me who I am today, so I can rock this. Oh, let's go. No, man. I think, I think amazing people like yourself, positive people, um, that you can trust and have them around. You need to be, you needed to be around. I, I was still trying to meet people, but during certain jobs, I would have to mingle with that. Oh, I'm throwing a party or I'm doing this. I needed someone I can trust around me and I didn't drink. I didn't do anything. So it was also good to be like, Oh, maybe it's time to head out or maybe it's time to like, you know, right uh leave the party or whatever so i always trusted you i always wanted you around you you always brought positive energy if it was a dance if it was if it had anything to do with dance you were able to get off and people could see your talent that was another reason why if there was any time that we had to dance or could dance or we should be dancing at a party a gathering i'm like if mike gambles there the party will be lit you know so um (laughs) So Thank just you. by you being you, you were always at the right place at the right time. So, but I remember that party. And you know what? I didn't drink until the Janet tour. Yep. That's the first time for my birthday. Yeah. My 25th birthday. I and, had my first drink. And I remember you <laughs> telling, you calling me like, and like, guess what I'm doing? 
I'm drinking. And I'm like, what? shots. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Was I, where was I in, the, in the Bahamas? Was I in the Bahamas? Yes. With Jan? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I'm taking shots. Because Patron is just not, ugh. That, just <laughs> smelling it. Just smelling it. It's like gasoline. So how do people drink it? So that was my first time having a Patron like that. I remember that. I'm taking shots, finally. <laughs> like this dude called me from the How do you call somebody Baham- to brag about that? Right. <laughs> And I'm holding the phone like this dude's gonna die. This 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 little this little motherfucker's gonna die right I'm now. Like Twenty. I'm 25 years old, taking my first shot. I'm like so behind. Uh, all right. So, so late now, the game. Yeah, yeah. So now that we're in L- so now that we're in LA, when you get there, you you do 30 seconds to fame, like the mm-hmm. TV show, the competition. You're like you're yeah. featured on. You started doing, you got, I think you got served was the first one, first movie that you did. Yes. Or was it yes. honey? Uh, in order. Well, in order, it was honey. Yeah. And then from, yeah, from honey, I got the hype uh, for 30 seconds to fame for Michael Binko at Fox. And then off the hype of that was the video music awards for Lorianne Gibson for Puff Daddy. Mm hmm. Then off, off, just just hype of being at the right place at the right time, just like you were saying. And then came uh, you got served, but it was all in three months timing. All that happened in three months. Two movies, the the major uh, uh, video, video the VMAs, the big yeah. television production, and the fifty thousand dollars of um, what is that called? Uh, Thirty seconds, seconds of fame. Of fame. So that was insane. All that happened in three months, and I didn't even know where I was going to live. Um, I remember giving Ab um, money for rent and being like, "I'm going to come back. I'll let you know. I got another ticket. They're flying me back out." It was insane. Like I didn't even understand it. I just held my composure. I said yes to everything, every gig, whether it was free. I remember flying for thirty seconds of fame, and that same week. And that same week was uh, when I met up with Tina Landon. She was like, Carnival is this month. So I went to Carnival. It was all like while I was there because I was going to fly back to New York anyway and just got down. And uh, the whole reason why I knew Tina is she had hired me for a Twix commercial with Little Bow Wow in New York. So all this happens like that, like book a commercial in New York, get flown to L.A., stay in L.A., perform in L.A., fly back to New York. They saw me in L.A. performing, flew me back to L.A., do a TV show, leave, go do a movie, come back and do another movie. So that was Honey, 30 Seconds to Fame, Twix commercial, Sesame Street, uh, You Got Serve, and yeah, and the VMAs all happened in three, like three months' time. So you've done how many movies? 32. How many commercials? 59. 59 national commercials. <laughs> how many How many music videos? 36. How many tours? 11. World tours. 11 tours. And I've done 86 television appearances. 86. <laughs> in 25 years. <laughs> okay. Honestly, it wasn't in 25. <laughs> Honestly, it was within seven years. <laughs> Well, 99 till now, you know, 99. But now, but now what you're actually doing is you're doing more behind the scenes work. Yeah. I'm producing and creating now, which is awesome. Which you've been doing 
because little big. I was, gonna, I, I was gonna call them Yo. little big heads. That's not what it was. What were they? <laughs> what? 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 Who? Little little big something. The kids show with Steve Harvey. Little big shots. Little, little big, big shots. shots. I was gonna call them little I did big heads. Little big but... shots, and I did lip sync battle shorties, which is also the kids okay. show as well. What year was yeah. Little Big Shots? Uh, 2016, I believe. Okay, right. So that was five years ago, bruh. So not in 25 years, like I said, because you started doing exact, you started uh, doing creative producing and stuff like that in the early 2010s. Yeah. yeah, I would say, yeah. To be quite honest, yes. Yeah. Because even in, even in Steve Love, I was given credit as a choreographer and producer. So it's been a while I've been doing this. I just don't, I don't know. I don't taint it by labeling it and no, I don't box no, no, myself no. in it. Yeah, I don't just go, I'm a creative producer or I'm a director. No, 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 no. I don't say that because then they just put you in a box. So right. I, That's what I'm everybody does. That's why you should never limit yourself. <clears throat> I'll, I'll put director. If I'm producing it, if I casted it, I've been casting director I've been a, a, a talent producer for NBC. I've been a casting producer for NBC. I have done, um, uh, I have creatively directed for E. Uh, so yeah, I've done, <clears throat> I've helped create shows for Cirque. <laughs> There's so many different things that I have done that is not just breaking. Um, uh, documentaries, I've uh, executive produced documentaries. I have d- directed um uh, music videos. So yeah, I've, I've done it. I've done it all, man. Yes. I've done I it know. All. <laughs> I know they need to know. All right. But yeah. this is the, this is the funny so thing. You've talk been... about me. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> of course yeah. we have to talk about you. It's my show. I'm not going to talk about me. You, you, you actually know, wasted like, to talk about me. You actually wasted about 10 minutes of my show time talking about me. Thank you. But back to you. All right, back to me, back to jackass. Just oh man, I'm sorry, my bad. So what else? <laughs> it's all good. Uh, but you've been very formal today. This is this is the clean flips. This is this yes. is this is not. I have video footage of us at Jerry's Deli on Ventura Boulevard with you whistling with the straw. Oh. I have footage of you break dancing in the middle of a bowling lane during my birthday party. I have video oh, footage serious, of you, right? bruh. So, why are you so why are you so cool, calm, and collected now? Like, what's because because I'm married. Ah, look at the ring. Look at the bling bling. Hey, yeah, I am married to like the most amazing person I've ever met. Like my other half, I don't even know where I would be or what I would be doing without her, uh, Kelly Parker. She has brought like that best side of me. Um, you know, like when you're, uh, when you're like in a cocoon and you become like a butterfly, like that's, that was like the transformation that ended up happening, um, with me through these last couple of years being, um, on the production side. Yeah. Um, I've learned so much from her. She's taught me so much, not just as like my partner, partner in crime. We created a brand together, our CD invisible, do the impossible brand, which you see around me. Um, it's just everything that we put our energy into, we help each other kind of balance whatever it is that is needed to make sure that comes to fruition and that comes to life. So um, we just got married uh, May 22nd. So like a couple weeks ago. 
um, just over a month ago, not to be OCD, but (laughs) (laughs) going on five weeks. Um, but yeah, man, uh, I think, I think that's why I strive to be like when I hit my 40th birthday, I wanted to also look and feel different. I don't Mm. want to look and feel like a 15 or 21 year old B-boy. Like I'm not, I am a B-boy at heart. I'm a dancer. I'm a creative person. I'm a producer. I'm a director. I'm all that. But when it came time to get married and to put my best foot forward with a promise that not only was for me, but for us, for me and her, I want to feel different daily for her because she makes me feel different. So I want to reflect how it is she makes me feel. She makes me feel successful. She makes me feel mature. She makes me feel like energetic in a, in a different kind of way. So the clean side of me comes from me wanting to represent, you know, our marriage, our brand, our like relationship. Um, That's love. When you talk about it, like, yeah, like a partner in crime, the word crime is like just the most beautiful part of life. She's your partner through thick and thin through it all. So I always want to represent her to the best of my ability because she's always put me forth in the best light. So I wouldn't want to represent like, yeah, I'm married to Kelly and I'm in like some overalls or some sweatpants, you know, (laughs) that was the old me. That was the old me, but the new me and even our brand, our brand is more like it is sports apparel, but it's just done with like, like swag. I don't know. It's not your typical stuff. And it's called our brand is 60, right? Mm-hmm. So the SI stands for CD invisible and then DI is do the impossible. And then the X is like, it marks the spot, but also there's no excuses. Like people use an X to mark their spot, yeah. but also people use an X as an excuse. So there's like no excuses to where you want to be or where you see yourself being. Don't make an excuse, just go for it. Like if you see the invisible, do the impossible, go for it, try it. You might be the next trailblazer, trendsetter, the next world record breaker, just because you took the step that nobody would just try it. So she's the one that was like, if you see a brand, she was like, babe, if you see a brand, if you see yourself like the, the, you know, I saw myself as like the puff daddy of breaking the P Diddy of the B-boy industry where I have a clothing line and we have, you know, maybe, maybe I'll take on a wine company or like a liquor or something, but she didn't see it as just like, Oh, flips has a dream, you know, let him go fetch it. Kelly like believed in every word of it and tried to find the right avenues to go. Let's see if this works for what you were talking about. Let's see if that works. You know how empowering that is for someone to help you try to make your dream come true. That's insane. Nowadays, everyone just goes for themselves. It's like, I have this dream. I have this thing. Me, me, I, 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 if you find yourself a person that can creatively share either the same dream or help you learn the tools or like help you get there. You got to keep that person close. And if that person is like your soulmate, you have to marry them. You have to spend the rest of your life with that person because the rest of your life will then be heightened. You'll like catapult yourselves into this next level of knowledge, understanding, love, compassion, 
anything's possible. Like I used to wear everyone else's stuff, everyone else's brands. I would wear them. I would be sponsored. I would get paid or not get paid. I would invest in other people's brands. And here's a woman that goes, why don't you try it? Why don't you just try creating your own brand? Let's see what it takes. That was so like amazing to me. There's such a turn on to me. I'm like, this woman really believes in me and in my dream. I believe in her and in her dream. So I'll do anything in my power to help um, her journey in producing and finding kids for a show or finding creative outlets or finding new videos or new trends just to help stay in that creative uh, producer mindset. Um, until she gets to the top of her game. Like, I don't want to stop helping her till she gets to like the top of where she wants to be. And for us, we're so creative, both of us, that we know for the rest of our lives, we're just going to be leveling up. Elevate. So that, yeah. That's kind of, yeah, that's where I'm at in my life. And yeah, see, Dope. true north. So I will try to stay true north in our compass. That's a black diamond. So try to stay like as positive and as true north as we can. And, you know, this is made out of meteorites. So it's out of this world, just like our relationship. Just like, but yeah, you. man, she's so dope. Special. She's so dope. Yeah, I felt like together we would be this, like, you know, powerful thing. So for the, next the ring, couple. I wanted it. Yeah, I wanted <laughs> to be like the next. Question for you Why yes, is your hand so swollen? Yes. Why do you look like you have elephantiasis on your. My hand. So I went mountain bike. I mountain bike. Um, you know that I used to do BMX freestyle, right? I know that so you used to BMX, my, but the people don't know that you used to do BMX. I know. I traded my BMX for a mountain bike and a dirt jumper. So we went to a uh, Big Bear Snow Summit, and I went. Uh, you ride the gondola up, like you know, twelve minutes up, and then you come down. Instead of skiing, you kind of ski with your mountain bike. And I fell and I broke my knuckle here and I broke my hand there. Bruh. So I have two, fra- I have two fractures to my, I had a cast, but I took it off. Kelly, I'm sorry, babe. She hates that. I take it off. She's like, it's meant to help you heal. But um, yes, you moron. Yeah. Why would you take, why would you take off a cast? That's supposed to help reset the bones for you. It's on my own, on my own merit, on my own time. You're it's not, not my a first freaking doctor. Bone. You moron. I know, but I, uh, it really, really hurts and it bothers and it's really hot and it itches and it doesn't smell very good. When of course not. Sweat. Nobody who has a cast thinks it smells good, but you're supposed to leave it on because that's why you get your bones reset. Ugh, this is so I, so I take it off and I do it all myself. If you know what? I really wish I could just freaking grab your hand and re-break it myself right now. Just. Yeah, I said it. I said it. All right. Speaking of breaking. No, for the last yeah. four four years or so, you've been working on a campaign Which that has now come to fruition that is going to be showcased in a couple weeks. Wait, talk to me. Breaking, be the bear of news. Breaking the Olympics. Yeah. Breaking in the Olympics. Yeah. Yes. You were a driving force behind <laughs> that, moron. <laughs> As I said, speaking of breaking, for the last four years, you've been working on bringing something to fruition that is now going to be showcased in a month. Breaking the Olympics in a month. How how much? But hold on. Hold on. There's more. Because it's going to. 
wait, no, there's some stuff I cannot talk about. And then ah. there's stuff I can talk. About. Okay. So what can That's you talk why about? I'm like, okay. So the, the big, big, big name drop that I'm allowed to talk about is Olympics in Paris, 2024. However, ever since December, uh, there's already been a movement that's happening. Um, a couple of documentaries and some other projects that are going on okay. that are leading to the news that you're going to hear in a month. So some things can be talked about. Some things cannot be mentioned, unfortunately, but breaking got accepted to be in the Olympics as an official sport um, by the uh, International Olympics Committee in Paris 2024. There are being um, um, assigned different, oh, how do I say it? There will be different sanctioned events that mm -hmm. are lining up throughout, and those will be revealed um, in the next few months. But yes, for the last couple of years, when I went to Seoul, South Korea, it was 2018, and we were already doing the research for uh, the Olympic Channel for the Olympics that's coming up. So you have, they had flown me out to look and see. I know the competitors of the United States. I know the competitors of other countries. So in Seoul, South Korea, uh, what ended up happening was in 2000, I got flown out to do a show and the show at the Seoul Olympic stadium had uh, a couple of breaking commissioned kind of groups that were just starting out. It was uh, like a government funded situation. And I never knew, I had no idea that me teaching those kids that were from nine to 16 years old would be the world's best dancers that are up for like, uh, metal contention in the Olympics. So that story was super awesome for me to be flown back to Korea almost 20 years later to the day in which I had started uh, some of the classes in Korea, in Seoul, South Korea, just out of government funding. So the dope. American embassy. Yes, go ahead. I just said dope. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. I was like, okay, so the world doesn't know. The world hears that breaking is going to the Olympics. The world doesn't know that there was like a secret project, a government project that had flown out uh, hip hop companies that taught South Korean um, kids that were going to um, they were going to the military. And before they got to the military, they were introduced to like breaking and they were like, what? So the same effect it had on me when I was 14, 15 years old, these kids were blown out of their mind. They practiced so hard that by the time they were 18 and they had to go uh, to the military, they had to serve four years in the military. By the time they came back, they were like lethal weapons. So now... <laughs> me seeing those crews now i'm like oh my god i remember you like some of them couldn't even top rock they they didn't really remember how to stay on beat they hadn't heard american lyrics before and little by little over the next two decades i see them again and i was floored i was in tears i couldn't believe they had their own museum they had won so many competitions they had their own museums they had um, two studios, what? sanctioned studios. They are sponsored by the government. They're the world's best Korean breaking crews. Um, and they just wave the flag proudly. So I was like, oh, my God, America needs to come 
forth and like hopefully the government uh, uh, sponsors it or get some big sponsor to go, hey, man, this is going to be big time. This is going to be big time. Like Japan is preparing. Brazil is preparing. Russia is preparing for like the silent World War Three is breaking in the Olympics because <laughs> battles you know they're competition so these rivalries have been around for almost 30 years and they finally get to explode on an olympic platform it's going to be insane Yo, that's going to be that's what insane some stuff, some stuff i could talk about some stuff i, I got to keep under wraps but okay i keep saying it, i'm like the world has no idea that now the kids are being trained so when you're a gymnast you start or a ballerina you start at like three to five years old right when you're a right. kid these these governments are now pumping money into brands to get these kids started at like three to five years old to take on America's best dancer at five. So by the time they're nine, 10, 11, they're at their prime. By the time they're 15, 16, they're like burning out, you know? And then by the time they're 18, they got to go to uh, the military. military. So imagine, yeah, your lifespan of being the world's best breaker stops at 18 i'm 42 years old so imagine how it's going to happen for these kids in the next three years until paris 2024 and when all these sanctioned events just start going if you want to train for the olympics come to this camp come here do this do that train here government sponsored gatorade red bull monster you know it's going to be insane it's going to be insane that you can prepare yourself to be ready with the right training to be an Olympic athlete of breaking in the next few years. Breaking takes time, man. To get good, it takes years. Right. So then to compete and be good at competing takes years. It takes like a seasoned person to learn to compete, not just to learn the move, to learn to battle with the move, to learn to put the move to rhythm, to learn to break and stop on the beat, you know? So... <clears throat> It's going to be really interesting. And music is about to launch as well. There's all these musical platforms that are like, okay, how do we get into the world of breaking? Because breaking comes from the 70s funk style. So there's all these producers now. There's so much happening, man. There's all these producers now that are pumping out, like reproduce break beats from funk jams from the 70s. So music is about to be on a whole nother level instead of like this rah-rah stuff that we're hearing now. They're going to go back to the basics. Like, wait a minute. If breakers break to this and the future of the Olympics is this, music needs to mold to that. So now there's going to be producers producing new music that takes us back to the 70s and 80s. Wow. Come on. Come wow. on. I'm going to blow your mind. Come on. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. So even Red Bull. Red Bull has like in-house producers that are like they're getting bands together, creating funk beats like for all these upcoming events it's, it's insane what's happening right now it's like reshaping the landscape of uh entertainment um olympics and uh just just music in general even now kids so i'm i'm now doing a class at moron k studios <clears throat> and ever since the announcement happened there's all these kids like you think of kids that want to break are going to take your class there's actors there's producers kids there's directors kids there are stunt kids that are coming to my class. I'm just like, whoa, this is really changing the landscape to allow me to provide them with the right knowledge and the right tools 
learn about the right music, who the artists are. If you hear a mm. remix from the Budos band or from James Brown, <clears> you know where it came from. If you hear an LL remix, you know, or know that Missy Elliott came up, came out with that beat and with Timberland 20 years ago, you're just rehearing it from another artist or they only took the, the section of the break and they looped it. There's all these things that I'm giving these kids as far as knowledge so that they understand this is not new. You guys, the future is going to the past, understanding the past and living in the present with all that. That's what's going to create the future. You're not just going to be ready for 2024 Paris. If you don't do your homework, it's impossible. Right. There's too much happening too fast. Anyway, you see, you got me into this whole mindset now. You that's don't what even I, know. That's, that's <laughs> what I do. My friend. That's why I'm the talk show host. That's why I be the invisible do the impossible, the impossible. Mike Campbell. And yes. I do it with a smile. Yes. Hey, there it is. There it is. That's what our brand is also about is um, we want the fashion to be functional. So like when B-boys or B-girls or dancers, uh, stunt guys or parkour guys are doing their stuff, it just feels good that you're in it. Mm-hmm. You're not just in a shirt to be in a shirt. You're in a shirt that's light or it's thinner or it breathes or the jacket gives you like a little bit more like function. Mm-hmm. And also like having your mind, man, having your mind, like you're, you're ready to try something new. You're ready to launch yourself or catapult yourself into like new limits, new levels. See the invisible, do the impossible, man. Dope. Let's do it. I actually, I actually have a few, uh, flips originals from 2003, 2004 still left over. Yeah. There you go. Um, I so remember- a lot of people didn't know this go. You go first. No, you go. It's all about you, baby. Okay. So I got confronted on a direct message by like, oh, you design now? Here's the truth. When my house burned down when I was 10 years old, I had nothing. All the clothes burned. Everything burned. All my socks, all my underwear, everything burned. All I had was what I had on. So what I want to tell that person is... I got creative at 10 years old to go to the Salvation Army, go to the thrift store, get some stuff. My mom and my grandma know how to sew, and I started creating my own stuff. I was 10 years old. My mom would sew. My grandma would sew. By the time I was 14, I had my own line. It was called B-Boy Gear, BBG. I sold it out of my backpack. That's why I told you I had a lock on my backpack. Mm -hmm. I had gear in school. Ask Ab, ask my dad, ask the guy who printed it, Rafi Amaral, printed all our shirts. I had a black shirt. I had a white shirt. I had a red shirt. um, And it was called B-Boy Gear, BBG. And it was me. My friend drew me, right? I paid my friend to draw me in a freeze. Then I paid my friend to draw me in a power move. I paid my friend to draw me, you know, like in different poses. Mm -hmm. He drew me as a caricature. I paid him and I would sell the shirt. So I had a brand. Before I had a brand that people know about, I had a brand in school and I sold thousands of dollars worth of gear out of my backpack at 14, 15 years old. And I was already designing at 10. I already had like my own little originals by 11. And then by the time I was 14, I would battle with my own gear. So now the originals that you got was me actually putting them together, pinning them and taking them to the lady to get stitched. You have like some of the originals from the LA 
yeah uh, my the, la like venture. yeah and, and even yeah. in la you were you were redesigning our audition stuff like you took a you took a t-shirt from crystal and braid like sliced it and braided the back of it like people were like yo where'd you get that flips mm. <laughs> yo right. so right. whoever this person is that's questioning you in a dm back the fuck up that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> so what if he is designing now? Are you jealous? Oh, Are you you're mad? a designer now? Like, I've been designing. What do you mean? And, like, and, and, the, and if you were designing now, who cares? That's what you're doing now. You're just mad. Right. You just be mad. You know what? This is my new statement. My old statement was buy the fuck by. Now it's buy motherfucker buy. I don't care. Like whoever, whoever, <laughs> if you're cool. listening, if you wrote that message, I'm saying it for him. Buy the fuck buy <laughs> motherfucker. You do your own shit. You want to design, you go design. Stop hating on other people for doing what it is that you can't do or that you desire to that you can't do. Just be happy for other people. People, come on, y'all. It's 2021. We just, we're coming out, trying to come out of a pandemic. And you're going to come back out shooting hate because somebody's building their brand? What is wrong with you? Oh, you're designing now? Like, well, one of my many, uh, one of the many hats I wear, yes, I'm repolishing it. Yes, we are. Like even even anyway. if it was ju- even if it was just an innocent, oh, you're designing now. Yeah. Yeah. So what? Just why would you not say, oh, congratulations, good luck with the new line? Why question it? Oh, you're designing now. Then, oh, you're designing now. Even, like if I wasn't creative enough that I couldn't do it. Right. But even to name drop, I'm like, well, uh, Victoria Beckham's worn my stuff. Uh, the Beckham kids have worn my stuff. Will Smith kids have worn my stuff. So you can't, you can name drop with, with the fact that yes, I design, yes, I have designed. And yes, like I've been able to put my design on certain people, but that's not the, that wasn't the goal. The goal was to come out of COVID with something creative, with something new, with something fun. So I very rarely, uh, and I didn't respond obviously, but very rarely (laughs) do I go down that rabbit hole of like, Oh, you're doing this now? I'm like, well, if, if you don't know the past about a specific person, you don't know what they've been through. If you don't know how they started, right? Like what if I was a designer first before I even danced, right? right. They don't know that. But, but the fact that to come with something new and something creative and fun and awesome would be better to support it than to hate on it. You know, that's just me speaking because people even stuff or question it. Like, yeah, people are rocking it. Don't hate. And when you see it on somebody, I was I did one of my uh one of your the ones I made you yeah. a couple of years later, I made a specific batch for the Spice Girls and the Spice Boys and they wore it. The specific um it was more like uh uh I called it from rags to pieces. Right. So I would take, yeah, I would take pieces that were either going to be thrown out or tossed, or maybe there was like a stain on a shirt and I would salvage a specific part and then I would replace it. That same part would be replaced on a different item Yeah. so that it would be reworn and repurposed and repatterned. Right. So I, something that I had designed for you, I had relaunched for the Spice Girls and for the Spice Boys on the tour. And then they liked it on the Janet tour. So I went ahead and did something very similar. And that is my way of just paying it forward. I would take pieces that people didn't want or they were going to get rid of. And I'm like, no, 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 wait, there's a treasure in that. Give you that, you know? And I would repurpose it and then give it out to the dancers, give it out to the artists. 
uh, give it out to the producers, the directors. And that's kind of before 60 was formed, I was already doing that, which is my footprints. And you remember yeah. the whole footprints yep. thing is, is giving back and leaving your mark on this industry and taking uh, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Like I had, when my house burned down, we had nothing like, like you go to the Salvation Army is like going to the mall because you have nothing to wear and you yeah. can't wear the same thing the next day and the next day, or, you know, it's just not, it's not right. So, um, that's kind of where this whole designer part of me came from knowing that my grandma and my mom would stitch. Then I find out here's more. <laughs> So the army, there is a brand called Proper, Mm P-R-O-P-E-R, and they stitch the, um, they stitch the camouflage outfits for the USA army, Mm -hmm. right? They're stationed in Puerto Rico. So my grandma stitched, when people ask me, what's your favorite color? And I say camouflage, like, like in my head, I thought that was my favorite color. I was around that since I was a kid, since I was an infant. I was around my grandma used to stitch for p- proper industries. And it was all the army outfits for the USA. Um, army. Yes. That's what they used to stitch. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's why I love camel so much. So yeah, isn't that insane? Like even when you're a kid, bro. there's things. Planted. Yeah, there's things planted in you. Yeah. And I'm always wearing camel and the stuff I made you had camel on it. Every, yes. Like I love camel for some reason. I love camouflage. When I was a young kid, my grandma would bring the stuff that they used to stitch or stuff that was like, you know, kind of like off for a little bit. Yeah. And she would have the fabric. And long and behold, when she worked out the proper, it was for the USA military to stitch military camel stuff. So my grandma stitching headspin hats comes from my past in Puerto Rico. My, my, uh, my love for camo, me designing, me repurposing clothes. It comes from my grandma's from when I was like a little jit that had no idea what that piece of fabric was that she was stitching into like, uh, uh, like a lamp or like they'll <laughs> repurpose it to be like a curtain. You know what I mean? Or your pillowcase was like camo and you're just like, Where'd that come from? You you don't buy that at Kmart or like Target. My grandma makes it in the garage, you know, in the Marquesina, which is the carport. It's not even a garage. But yeah, man, like, like I wish people would kind of go back to their roots and really understand like where their real purpose in life is Mm -hmm. so that when you go to your past and you do like, like you said, that full circle of life is that realization of what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Why are you here? What are you doing? Who are you supposed to help? Who are you not acknowledging? Where do you need to go next? What's your next step? What are you not doing? What have you not done? Like, and I think in the industry, everyone just gets lost because who wouldn't want to be rich and famous and successful? I don't know who would want to be that, but, but you could reach that in your own way by doing your own thing that you were blessed to do on this earth before you're gone, figure out what that is and do it. Whatever that is, it could be designing. It could be spinning on your head. It could be choreographing. It could be producing. It could be writing. You could write. You could like never show your face and just write. And you write a novel, you write a feature film, you write Mm -hmm. a book, you write a bestseller, you write a TV show and it's a hit. 
You don't have to show your face. You don't have to selfie. You don't have to be on Instagram. You just have to do what you were blessed with to do. And uh, I feel bad for people out here chasing that fake dream. Yeah. There is a dream that you you want to be rich and famous and you want to be known. You want to be magazines. You want to be movies. But when you figure out what your truth is, it might not be that. Right. Are you okay with that? You're okay with not being in front of the camera. Are you okay with not being a multimillionaire actor? What if you're a multimillionaire writer, multimillionaire choreographer, multimillionaire producer, multimillionaire casting? Like, if you're worried about the money, it will come once you find your true gem. The gem is priceless. When you find yep. your diamond, it's priceless. So, like, why are you trying to? be somebody else's diamond. Like an actor is an actor. This guy is this person. She does that. He does this. Like, don't be them. Find your diamond, polish it, let the world see it, you know, and pressure makes diamonds. So it's in there somewhere. You're yeah. going to find it at probably like your lowest point in life. You know, words of inspiration, anyway. bro. That's, this is, this, that's my family. Right, that's man. what we do. So, Our purpose in life I is to inspire. Yes. Yes. We're gonna have we're gonna have to wrap it up a little bit now. But before we go, I have a special sequence that we have to okay. do before we go. My last name's Gamble. I always play off of that. I bought a roulette table. Okay. That is filled <laughs> with 16 what are normally shot glasses. Each glass oh. is printed with numbers and they represent one of 16 questions. So what's gonna happen is okay. I'm going to spin the wheel of magic. And it's going to land on a number and you're going to have to answer the question typically. And hopefully when after Corona, if we get to do this in the studio, we can be in the same room. If you didn't answer, if you don't want to answer the question, you would have to do a shot and you would have to do a shot until you figured out a question that you wanted to answer. But now okay. you just have to say you're in to answer the question. I'm in you, to answer the question. Are you in? It's you, Jack. I hate you so much. I'm in. <laughs> All right. Here's. Here's the uh, ball. It goes around. Number lucky number seven. Seven. That's great. I love the number seven. All right. All right. Hit me. Hit me. Number seven. <laughs> what is your worst international experience? My worst international experience was when I went to Bogota, Colombia. Um, they, they had had a, I want to say a cocaine or a drug. What is that called? Were they, uh, like, like a bus, like a, a raid. huge raid. Yeah. Yes. And they held my passport and they held me for four hours questioning me how to take off my clothes. They, um, opened up my bag. They took everything out. What are you doing in Colombia? You're from Puerto Rico, blah, blah, blah. I told them I was a dancer. I'm here for this hip hop festival. They didn't believe me. I had to break at the airport to prove to them that I was not a drug dealer, a criminal, <laughs> oh my a God. drug lord. I was just a hip hop b-boy, but I was dressed baggy. You know, I yeah. had like my hat to the side, whatever. And yeah, I had to break from my innocence. I had to break till proven uh, innocent in the court of law in the airport in Bogota, Colombia. Please tell so me you were dressed when you were breaking. 
Um, yeah, I was, well, after I got to put my clothes back on. Yes. Oh my God. But I was in, I was, I was in boxers and socks, no shirt. I had my rosary on. I was like, what's happening? But you only see that in a movie. So right. you don't expect to happen to you. But then they explained what happened and they were, you know, it was like a Latino drug Lord exchange slash bus that had happened. And I'm just like, what? So they tell you after the fact that you match some description of some person that they thought you might've been involved with. And, um, it was like four hours, but I thought I was never going to get out of there because of the way that they treat you. They, they're very, the way they interrogate you, they almost make you believe that you're like doing something wrong. (laughs) And it's like, uh, no. And my head spin hat was in the bag. I was like, can I get that? Can I show you what I do? I want to show you what I do. They were just looking at me like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, like probably like I wasn't good. I was pretty good. So I was like, <laughs> oh. then they thought I was cool. Then I showed them. So I had the invitation. They gave us our, the invitation for the embassy. And then I showed them my badge, my laminin badge, my VIP badge. I had to show them that as well. Like everything. Like, dude, I'm legit. I'm, I am an artist. I'm a hip hop artist coming from America. Like, yeah, but you're from Puerto Rico. I go, my passport is from Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is U.S. territory. I'm not coming from Puerto Rico like it's a third world country trying to get into your country. And I was sponsored by, so my clothing was brand new. and had tags on it. So it looked like maybe I was there to like sell gear. I don't know. I don't know what was going on in their mind, but I was interrogated for like four hours. It was not good. I was nervous. I was like borderline scared. Um, I thought they were like trying to plant something on me. Like I did something or that I look like somebody that had done something. Or if I knew anything, I'm like, what would I know? I know how to do the MC hammer, the running man, the cabbage patch. (laughs) What do you know? What do I know? But yeah, that was one of my worst international experiences was that. Yeah. That's I'd, I'd say that's a pretty freaking bad one. I, yeah. Thinking I'd be stuck in like another country forever. Ah, you know, just, just mistaken identity. Just like, I look like somebody that you either don't like or don't know or whatever. And, you know, but you know, I stayed true to myself. I was like, Hey, I'm here for this. I'm going to be so late. They're going to leave me. Oh my God. Like I was like, just showing them the concern of, of, you know, what you're doing to me by holding me. But it was like four hours. Something Dude. like that. It was so crazy. Well, it, it felt like a day. I was like a day at the terminal. Just like what's happening? So, so and only did, one person waited for me. The the person that holds the sign. That was my question. That uh, was my next question. Yeah, he he went and got something to eat, and then he reported to his superior, and then my name was brought up that I was being held. That's why he waited uh, because Ivan Ivan Velez from that flight from uh, Los Angeles was being held. So that's why um, he waited for me. So he knew I was being held up. He was probably like, I hope you didn't bring anything on the yeah. plane, you know? <laughs> he was probably like, oh, no, this kid got busted for something. But, yeah, nothing. Dude. Yeah. So there you go. number, Lucky number seven. That's, that's, your, that's my answer. Just, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. That's the flip. There he is. <laughs> Bro, there I, is. It, it only took two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Now he comes out when he's done. Now, yeah, there it is. But we're going to have to do it again. 
We're going to have to do this again because okay. there are so many more stories in there that we didn't touch upon. Let the oh, sunshine rolling on dubs. <laughs> yeah, today or another day? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're going to have to do this again because those are also the stories another that you day. Another day. We can't do it now. We've another been talking day. for two yeah. hours. Yo, yes. So next time we have to talk about uh, the Olympics when I jumped into the pool. Next yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> Let's yeah, that's when Michael Phelps won his first gold medal in that same pool that I jumped into. Yeah. And then we got to do rolling on dubs, obviously. And yeah, some other stuff. All yeah. right. So we got another, we got a, a Flips volume two coming out, episode two coming out. For sure. If you're, I'm if so you're excited, I'm up for it. I want it to happen. I'm up for it. All right. Dope. And then maybe Kelly but can another make it day, go- not today, right? No, not today. I can't talk hey. anymore. I'm tired. You, <laughs> yeah i still only sleep four, i still only sleep four hours a night so i'm not tired i know i used to do that all the time now now i'm like five maybe six, <laughs> five six i'm like Mer- four hours and like 22 minutes no. <laughs> yeah i do like four to five hours still all right mike thank you so much no congratulations thank- on mike gamble's green whatever room. dude so but before you go where can people yes. find you? Instagram. At uh, oh, on Instagram, you can find me at Ivan.flips.velez. Flips with a Z. Uh, flips with a Z dot Velez with a Z. Do you have a website? Yes. Oh, well, the website I would love to punch is this is Go60. G O S I X D I. Like Go60. And then uh, Facebook, Ivan Flips Velez. And then, yeah, if you Google or hashtag Ivan Flips Velez, it'll pop up. That's me. The only one that's not me is Ivan Flips Velez, the account that was hacked three months ago on Instagram. So Ivan.flipswithaz.velez um, is the new one. Dope. Check him yep. out. And then yeah, Facebook, Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm what was the Instagram. Twitter? You didn't give your Twitter handle. Your, your Twitter I'm handle. On TikTok. Ivan. Ivan flips Velez. What's your TikTok? I, Ivan flips Velez. <laughs> I see a recurring theme here. <laughs> That's what you call branding, ladies and gentlemen. That's branding. No yes. confusion about it. Ivan, Ivan flips Velez. And then the company is Flips Entertainment. That's on every platform, F-L-I-P-Z, entertainment, on every platform. And then uh, the brand is 60. So go 60, S-I-X-D-I, on every platform, S-I-X-D-I. Lips Entertainment, there you go. Yes. Oh, my God, you got everything. See, I've been doing this fashion thing for so long. I still have my... I still have my... uh, Philly sweatsuit, which everybody loves. And I love telling the story about all the patches because they mean something. I still have my suit jacket, my blazer with the Magnum on the back. And I love telling the story about that. I still have my uh, sweatpants, my uh, siphon. I still have my siphon t-shirt. I still have my siphon, uh, my siphon plaid shirt. I still have my Nike suit, the which everybody loves. I, uh, I, bro, yes. I have everything. 
I have everything. That's amazing. And if, and oh, if, so, and, and if so. something gets destroyed, like a, a piece of me gets like, it feels like a piece of me is broken. Like I don't have you with me anymore. Like that's, so oh. I have all of my stuff that I've ever gotten from you. Man. That's what's up. That's love, baby. That's, that's love. love, baby. That's family. Yeah. We are family. Okay. So Ivan.flips with a Z dot Velez at Instagram, Ivan Velez at TikTok, Ivan Velez on Twitter. Ivan Flips Velez. Ivan Flips Velez on Facebook. On, on everything. everything. Yeah. On everything. And make sure you check out <laughs> Go60 G-O-S-I-X-D-I.com. And then yes. make sure if you're not doing already that you follow at Gamble's Green Room on Instagram.com and go to the website gamblesgreenroom.com because soon we will also be releasing some merch that's going to be happening so you can rock the Gamble's Green Room with you. And if you're not doing as well, make sure you click that subscribe button on here so you know when the new episodes come out every 1st and the 15th of every month. That's what's up. Let's go. Let's go. Felipe. Te yes. amo, te extraño. I love you too. I miss you too. Bro. I said it in Spanish. I know. English. That's what we do. So much love, so much respect. I can't wait to see you on the next one. We got to do this again. For, for sure. We got to do it soon. And then maybe Kelly can All drop right. in in two. Send Kelly my love. Okay. I haven't seen yes. her. I haven't seen her in what? Yes. Three years now? A long time. Yeah. Years. Yeah. Yeah. I was supposed to go to the All wedding, right, but I couldn't because I was in Sweden. And then it was just family. Whatever. All right. <laughs> it's all good love you papa yes be good love you too all right peace Deuce. Mm-hmm.